Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды. Да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество, все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, веди его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться.
Валится в город, по стенам бежит, И перед армией его никто не устоит. Слышишь, глаз звучит, И поблизок день. Слышишь, глаз звучит, И поблизок день. Построите трубы на Сионе, и тревогу ветер все сильнее. Построите трубы на Сионе, и день грядет. Построите трубы на Сионе, и тревогу ветер все сильнее. Построите трубы на Сионе, и день Luke, chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We know that these words are taken out of a song that was sung on the fields of Bethlehem that spoke about the coming of the Son of God. The reason for this song over the um, fields of Bethlehem and then was Luke, this talks about more about this in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 49. Maria said, Mary said, The soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he was mighty, has done great things for me, and holy is his name. The phrase, he regarded the lowly state of his maidservant means his, he sent his favor in an answer to the humility of his servant. God's favor or goodwill is his favor or his gratitude toward the humility of a person before the will of God. This, in fact, is the readiness of God to restore a person in the rights that he has lost. Sin has 
А посему связь земли с небом выражается в нашей возможности возвеличивать Бога на земле The bind between heaven and earth is expressed in our ability to glorify God on earth and rejoice in God, and not in the abundance of the material blessings which a lot of which most followers of Mammon talk about. When on our list of priorities, searching for God stands as number one priority, and the depths of heaven or the blessings of heaven are secondary. God receives the foundation to demonstrate his goodwill toward men. This kind of order and this kind of favor of God or goodwill of God toward men in the present, in the past, and in the present was often rejected or misunderstood by people. In the past and in the present, saints are not just in poverty, but beyond poverty, and not only do not have any relations with God, but do not search for them. Although, in reality, a person is ready and desires to receive material prosperity as well as communication with God, but only on his own uh, conditions, which as a rule are expressed in two human polar opposites, either in asceticism or in allowing oneself to do all things for his benefit. Because as asceticism are the works of the flesh and have no relation whatsoever to the conditions of God and will never have any relation to them. If we portray our conditions as the conditions of God, we do evil because we attribute to God which that which is in fact our, we, are, we are ourselves authors of. We must note that when we search for God, when we search for our own material prosperity in doing so, we refuse to honor God according to His statutes. Second, by searching for material prosperity and offering to God of tithes and offerings, we refuse to accept His authority over us. Third, by searching for material prosperity, we refuse to praise God and His conditions. And fourth, by searching for material prosperity, we refuse to worship Him because all four of these aspects are possible only when we honor God in tithes and offerings on the conditions of God by searching for His countenance. And so according to the requirements of Scripture, in order for the goodwill of God to be accepted by us or to be realized by us, we need to accept this goodwill on the conditions of God, specifically in offering to God that which is hallowed or that which is a first fruit, and we care for searching for God, worshiping God, expressing our love, and acknowledging His authority over ourselves. This is what we must pursue when we honor God in tithes and offerings by worshiping Him. Presenting and doing so, we present to God the basis so that He Himself can care for us. By doing so, we demonstrate favor toward God and we demonstrate our humility before Him because the goodwill of God is His grace or His gratitude which He demonstrates to men 
for the fact that a person having expressed his love toward God blesses him and fulfills the hunger and thirst of God. This kind of behavior in man gives God the basis to demonstrate toward man his favor and or goodwill and lead him into the inheritance of his son. The inheritance of the Son of God was never material prosperity because material prosperity is meant to be burnt will be burned. The earth and its blessings will be burned. The inheritance of the Son of God is comprised in the new heaven and the new earth. The inheritance of the Son of God is comprised of the riches of faith that a person receives in his heart. And among the trials, among the lack, he considers himself dead to sin and alive to God, and he proclaims the inexistent adoption and the redemption of his body as existent. The Son of God came in order to restore the body of a person in which the Heavenly Father will dwell eternally. In doing so, He gives a person the opportunity to dwell eternally in God. This is the only goal for which the Son of God has come and has died in the body because if it was necessary if it was needed to die only in the spirit then the body would not be needed for the son of man there exists a kind of opinion today that christ as a person did not come on earth he just showed um, he couldn't die they say because god is one God is one in three faces. One meaning they have one nature, one essence. But they have different roles. But they have one goal. These are three. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father gives His Son up to death. The Holy Spirit along with Him goes to His death and helps Him so that we can understand what happened. You have prepared a body for me of the body that I must give up for the body in which you will live. God wants to live in the body of a person. You will say, he's in the heart, he's in the spirit. But the goal of God was not to live in the heart and the spirit. His goal was to live in the body. He had created the body of a person as a home, as his home, as a dwelling place, which the devil then wanted to, to take over, encroach on. And when people violate their bodies, when they don't understand, then, of course, they are far from the truth and they are far from salvation. And, of course, in order to honor God in tithes and offerings, it is necessary to pursue the correct goal. It is necessary to search for the reign of the resurrection of Christ in their bodies. We are going to stand and honor God with tithes and offerings and we are going to sing together and we will remember that each time when we honor God in tithes and offerings by offering Him that which is in our control but does not belong to us is the belonging of God. In doing so, we honor God. We receive access to His courts. We honor Him. 
We acknowledge his authority over us and we express our love. And therefore, let us sing. I will gladly remind you that each time when the people of God had honored God with tithes and offerings either in Tabernacle of Moses or the Temple of Solomon, they were called to, according to the words of Moses that he had received as a revelation from God, to raise their hands over their offerings, tithes and offerings which they brought to God, and to proclaim one unique proclamation that they were faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel, tied to that same root, drinking from the fruits of the same tree, will do the same thing. Please raise your right hands as symbol of your righteous act over your offerings and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I do not give in sorrow. I do not give impurely and I do not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority and according to your word, I ask you right now, may your heavenly windows be opened and may your blessings come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Тебя высшим разумом создана Эта вселенная и дом твой земля Будущий рай, настоящее прошлое Все для тебя, все для тебя Настоящее прошлое, все для тебя, все для тебя. Все для тебя, все 
для тебя Не заброшено все, что хорошее Oh, my. 
Blessed is God. He alone knows what He does, what He creates. Many things today are unknown to us. However, they are allowed by God. They are allowed for our good and for our perfection. And so to place the scripture familiar to us, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. Return to the ancient path of goodness. To look at the foundation of our study of the ancient path of goodness, we turn to the words of Apostle Paul, who by the mercy and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in short and concise definitions, was able to formulate the contents of the order present in the teaching of Christ. And in studying this place of Scripture, we decided to use a more perfect and closer to the truth version of this translation. This is Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 2. Therefore, sprinkling ourselves with the reign and teachings of Christ, and having been clothed in the armor of light contained in the reign of this teaching, let us go on to perfection and build ourselves into the house of God, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and the faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on our hands, of resurrection, of the dead, and of eternal judgment. As we know, each of the four teachings possesses in itself a triplicity of various functions that determine the unearthly order of the kingdom of heaven and determine in their totality the role of the twelve teachings of Christ who came in the flesh. In a certain format, as far as God and the measure of our faith have allowed us, we have already examined the doctrine of baptism in its three functions, baptism in water, Holy Spirit, and fire, the doctrine of laying on of hands in three functions in the covenant of blood, salt, and rest, as well as the doctrine of resurrection from the dead in its three births, birth from water, birth from the Spirit, and birth to the throne. And we turn to sing the doctrine of eternal judgment, which in Scripture is presented in the dimension of the eastern side of the heavenly Jerusalem in three gates. 
And therefore, the doctrine of eternal judgment, just as in the other three teachings, contains in itself three levels of the will of God. As a future, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed in this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 1, 2. We know that there is the good will, acceptable, and the perfect will. In their union, the functions of the three levels of the will of God are yielded in Scripture as the creation of righteousness and the works of justice and the creation of sanctification and the works of holiness. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is holy, let him be filthy still. He who is filthy, excuse me, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and the reward is with me. Only upon the union of the creation of righteousness and the creation of sanctification, and these two actions present in one another and for one another the legal platform for their legal expression, and only in this union can they represent the doctrine of eternal judgment. We have noted that acknowledging the will of God is a sacred mystery that is found beyond the limits of our rational abilities that are called to occur between God and man and man and God in the dimension of the Spirit through the mutual act in which God and man unite as one and become one Spirit. Here in Fulfilling the will of God in the creation of righteousness and sanctification is an expression of love for God. If you love me, keep my commandments, says Christ to his disciples, John 14, 15. Fulfilling the commandments in the creation of righteousness and sanctification is fulfilling the will of God. In fulfilling the will of God, we receive the ability to know God, and in this manner, unite with God as one. That is what Christ prayed about in the Garden of Gethsemane in his prayer, John 17, verses 21 through 23. They all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. And according to these words, to know the will of God means to become an expression of the will of God and a weapon of the will of God. Doctrine of eternal judgment and the good exceptional perfect will is the triumphant accord in the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ in a certain format together in the doctrine of eternal judgment which contains in itself three levels of the will of God, has already looked at the first level and the powers of the good will. Therefore, let us turn to the next level, expressing the powers of the acceptable will. On the wall of heavenly Jerusalem, comprised of twelve precious stones, the doctrine of eternal judgment, expressing the level of the acceptable will, is made of the precious adjacent stone. Revelation 21, 20. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The eleventh foundation was Jason. 
Стены города украшены всякими драгоценными камнями. Основание одиннадцатое – геоцинт. We should not forget that under the precious stones on the foundations of the walls of heavenly Jerusalem, we are referring to the properties of a good heart in which God dwells in a heart that dwells in God. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up the spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2, 3-5 The image of each of the precious stones on the twelve foundations of the walls of heavenly Jerusalem is an image of a certain component that yields the character of a good heart or defines the character of a good heart. In nature, the precious stone is a type of zircon. It is known for its excellent fiery color, noble reddish orange color, for good transparency and strong diamond shine. In ancient times, it was called the stone of the morning dawn. In addition, Jason's has a very high hardness, for which jewelers highly value this gem. Often, this stone was confused with sapphires or topaz. For some people, Jason's were highly valued, along with diamonds, chrysolites, and emeralds. From which we conclude that when God built a relationship with a person through the powers containing his acceptable will, then he will turn to a person with a voice from the hidden mystery of Jason, which in this foundation, again, Jason's talking about heavenly, Jason in the heavenly dimension, which in this foundation will present the name of the Apostle Simon Canaanite. Matthew 10, 2-4. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these, the eleventh Simon the Canaanite. The word acceptable comes from the word please. To please means to do something. To do something in order to please God, to find his favor. And if in the goodwill through its powers expressed in who God is for us, and what God has done for us, being gained righteousness by faith in Christ Jesus and being gained holy by factor of our birth from the seed of the word of truth, and in this manner were separated from the world, died to the world, and the world in turn died to us, then in the powers of the acceptable will, we in an answer to what God has done for us are called to practice righteousness and be sanctified so that we may please God, and thus receive the opportunity to lose our dependency on our soul in the image of the old man by making a covenant of salt and baptism in the Holy Spirit. The word acceptable in relation to the word of God defining the initial goals of God means pleasing and acceptable to God. Acceptable, pleasing and acceptable to God, attracting or drawing the attention of God meets the requirements of God's established order, blameless in the sight of God, Coming at the time indicated by God, reaching a goal or striking a goal set by God, fulfilling the conditions set by God, drawing upon oneself the favor of God. The name Simon on the foundation of the acceptable will means to hear, whereas his nickname Canaanite means zealot. In Israel, there was a whole movement of zealots. From there, Simon was called, and that's how he came to be called, Simon the Canaanite, Simon the Zealot. 
according to the meaning of the content in these names, the Queen's God are cooperating with the acceptable will of God. It is necessary to have an open ear in order to hear what the Spirit says to the churches through the preached word about the kingdom of heaven. And this means to have the powers contained in the name Simon. It is for this reason that every parable of Christ and every letter of his to the church in the Revelation of John included with these words. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Revelation 2, verse 29. The significance behind hearing with our hearts what the Spirit says to the churches is comprised of the fact that the faith of God occurs from hearing the preached word about the kingdom of heaven. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Faith is not an emotion, it's not a feeling, it's information that comes from the preached word hearing, and it gives birth in man an answer to faith. So the faith of a person is obedience to the words of God. The words of God are the faith of God. God speaks, this is the faith of God, I fulfill, this is my faith. At one point, Jesus cursed the fig tree, which had no fruit. And when they returned on another day on the same road, and the disciples were surprised that the fig tree had dried up, they turned to Jesus and said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has dried up. To which Jesus answered them, And you... Have faith. Who are exalted to heaven will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Mark 11, 24. The phrase, have the faith of God, means to be clothed with the dignity of the name Simon in order to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We must hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The phrase, all that you ask of means all that will be in the treasury of the faith of God or in that information which we receive through hearing the priest's word about the kingdom of heaven and not that which we must be, which we might desire. Because Christians have been taught this, that whatever you ask of or whatever you want, then they don't understand that they are begin, when they begin to ask what they want and not what God wants, they are um, they are committing evil. We can we can only ask for that which God, God wants us to. To please God, it is necessary that the verb have, have faith, referring to the faith of God, is taken from military lexicon. This means that it isn't a suggestion or an alternative allowing us to change it with something else. It is a military order, non-fulfillment of which results in death. To please God, it is necessary to zeal for the faith of God, which in practice means dedicating oneself to searching for and fulfilling the will of God under the inspiration for strong desire to be ready to pay whatever price is necessary, even the price of the loss of life. In fact, this strong desire is expressed in hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
And so to be zealous for the will of God means to languish in anticipation of the execution of the judgments of God. Psalms 119.20 My soul breaks with longing for your judgments at all times. An expression of zeal. Thus, to please God, it is not enough for us to have only one dignity contained in an assignment. It is perfect and necessary for us to have powers contained Together in the name of Simon the Canaanite yielded the eleventh foundation of the wall of the New Jerusalem, which we, in order to please God, are called to build in our hearts out of the precious Jason's stone, means vesting with the ability to hear in our heart the voice of the Holy Spirit and clothing in garments of zeal in order to please God. Only in such a way did these two marvelous characteristics lead us into the level of acceptable will to make us partakers Obviously, building this 11th foundation in our hearts, which gives us the ability to please God, becomes possible only after we are born of the Spirit and make with God a covenant of salt and baptism in the Holy Spirit, because it is a covenant of salt that contains all the conditions and instructions related to the powers of the acceptable will. And as always, let us remember that the functions contained in the powers of the good, acceptable, and perfect will can flow only upon the cooperation of man with God in the boundaries of this same acceptable will, the character of which is yielded by the name Simon the Canaanite, where each of the sides are given their own role, which cannot be nullified or fulfilled by someone else. And so to cooperate with God in building in our heart the name Simon engraved on the 11th foundation of the wall of Jerusalem, it is necessary for us to study the functions contained in this name, as well as the roles that God appointed for himself as well as for us. Considering the format of this sermon, I will limit myself to several, in my eyes, significant components in which the name Simon presented on the 11th foundation of the wall gives the children of God through their hearing of the voice of the Holy Spirit in their hearts and their zeal the right to execute the judgments of God in the boundaries of the powers of the acceptable will. But before we get into it, let us remember that zeal for God is called to work in union with hearing in our heart the voice of the Holy Spirit. The ability to hear in our heart the voice of the Holy Spirit is called to stand as head over our zeal. Otherwise, our zeal for God will turn into zeal against all that is true, holy, and dedicated, and against God Himself. If the name Simon or hearing the ability to hear will not lead, will not stand as priority, then our zeal for God will turn against all that is holy and against God himself. Romans 10, 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved, for I bear to witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So they don't hear the voice of God, they can't have knowledge, but they have zeal for God, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. 
Romans 10, 1-4. According to these words, the heart that obeyed the righteousness of God has zeal and knowledge for God. The heart that did not obey the righteousness of God it affirms its own righteousness, does not have knowledge and zeal for God, and therefore, consequently, will not have in itself the ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so, a person who hears in his heart the voice of the Holy Spirit is a person who always has in himself knowledge and zeal, whereas a person who does not hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in his heart is a person who, upon these circumstances, can never have in himself knowledge and zeal. This is going to be a blind zeal. Zeal is, in fact, first and foremost, the result of our hatred, which is called to protect our holiness against our hatred toward lawlessness. Hatred toward lawlessness, which is called to protect our holiness, our worship, and the object of our love in the face of our Redeemer. The higher the level of our hatred, the higher the level of our love will be. Because this is referring to the higher the level of hatred toward lawlessness, the higher the level of our love for righteousness will be. Because it is the power of level of hatred that toward lawlessness that defines the power of the level of our love toward the righteousness of God. To zealously love God, it is necessary to despise our nation, our household, and our lives. There are unfortunately very few people out of those who come to God that are ready to fulfill this condition. Luke 14, 24-27 For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. For many are called, People come. But when they are told that they need to despise, they say, what are you talking about? God is love. Who do I hate? The enemies of a person, this is house, his nation, and himself, his sinful nature. How do I hate them? We're supposed to love everyone, they say. But God doesn't love everyone. God loves some and he despises others. God loves only those who love him. And God despises all those who despise him and his children. For saying to you that none of these those men who were invited shall taste my supper, the great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, anyone comes to me and does not hate his father or mother and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Here is one of the specific unfortunate examples of zeal for God, blind zeal for God upon the lack of hearing in our heart, the voice of the Holy Spirit. 2 Kings 21, 1-10 Now there was a famine in the name in the days of David for three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is because of Saul, his bloodthirsty house, because he killed the Gibeonites. Pay attention here. Zeal without hearing the word of God is bloodthirsty. So the king called the Gibeonites. 
There are those people who carried water into the temple. They cut the wood and they were present in the temple. They had access to the temple along with the Levites. None of the people of Israel could draw near to there besides the tribe of Levi and the Gibeonites who were servants in the temple of God. And of course, the servants in the temple of God had a high status And they knew the God of Israel. They knew the God of Israel more than any Israelite because despite the fact that the temple was not perfect material. The presence of God was not material in this temple. It truly, it truly dwelled there. And of course, the Levites and the Gibeonites who had entered there, they felt this. And therefore, the relationship toward God for the Gibeonites and the Levites were completely different in the relationship between, um, between another Israelite. Yes, King Saul did not enter the sanctuary. He didn't know what the true presence of God was that the Gibeonites knew. But he, for some reason, in his blind zeal, wanted to destroy them. And now, in the days of David, because David inherited this throne, there became a famine. And God says, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house, because he gilled the Gibeonites, their blood was spilled. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke them, that the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. Israelites, um, they promised that they would not destroy them, but Saul wanted to destroy them for their zeal. For uh, David said, to the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you, and with what shall I make atonement, that you may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said to him, we will have no silver or gold from Saul up in this house, nor shall you kill any man in Israel for us, see they're not bloodthirsty. We don't need anyone in Israel to die. He said, whatever you say, I will do for you. Then they answered the king, as for the man who consumed us and plotted against us, that we should be destroyed from remaining in any other territories of Israel, let seven men of his descendants be delivered to us, and we will hang them before the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, who the Lord chose. Pay attention They did this according to the revelation from God. This wasn't just their desire or want. Why not 27 or 30, but seven, and why to hang them? Because seven is an image of fullness. They understood that there must come retribution, and God wants to produce retribution through them with the hands of David for the sin of Saul. And therefore, the blind zeal of Saul falls on his sons. Give us seven people and we will hang them. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. So the king took Armoni and Mephibosheth, the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aya, whom she bore to Saul, and the five sons of Michal, the daughter of Saul whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Meholathites. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the hill before the Lord. So they fell, all seven together, and were put to death in the days of the harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of the barley harvest. Pay attention, they were put to death in days of harvest. 
harvest will also come from after blind zeal. They were destroyed during harvest. Now Rispa, the daughter of Ayah, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of harvest until the late rains poured out from heaven on them. And God had mercy over Israel. God can't demonstrate his mercy without executing his judgment through his children. Because Saul wanted to destroy the Gibeonites with his own zeal. And so the reason for the expression of zeal lacking knowledge, which challenges God, is the fact that upon demonstrating his zeal for God, a person does not hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in his heart. Apostle Paul, defining the zeal, the state of Israelites who condemned Christ to death, Due to their blind zeal, says, For I bear the witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And so let us remember that in Hebrew, the word knowledge, tied to the ability of our heart to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, is called to work in union with our enlightened mind, the action of the sphere of our will. This means to have knowledge means to test the source of information. Zealousy without hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. Spirit will not feel anything. When people say, I have zeal for God, but here it says, before you do this, you must have knowledge, test the source of information, be open to the truth, seek knowledge of about God and God Himself, meditate upon heavenly things, to love God with understanding, to be united in thoughts with the saints, make reasonable and volitional decisions in favor of the will of God, draw conclusions based on the signs available, playing your strength with a degree of your dedication, lead or control the emotional sphere of the soul, Sing and pray to God in accordance with the statutes established by Him and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I would like to, in the format of this sermon, provide seven of these shapes, commentaries, which, on one hand, will allow us to analyze and determine what kind of zeal we have. And they will do seven, not all of them, because we're limited to time. And I do believe that seven will, uh, on one hand, allow us to know whether or not we have According to which we must determine our love for God as well as the level of our relationship with God. The faith of the heart is always based on knowledge of who God is for us and what God has done for us. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to reestablish or establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. The faith of God is always focused on who God is and what He has done for us. And He has become for us justification, dedication. We don't need to earn it with our works. A person who does not understand the righteousness of God received by faith in the redemptive sacrifice of Christ rejects the righteousness of God by finding strength in his own righteousness, because of which he is an enemy of God as well as an enemy of his 
unfruitful works of darkness because you don't have the ability to understand anything without hearing. And so before having zeal for God and expressing the level of our hatred, Toward the fruitless works of darkness, which yield the level of our love toward what is acceptable to God, it is necessary to define the source of the information that comes to us. And for this in our heart, it is necessary to distinguish the voice of the Holy Spirit, which we hear through the preached word about the kingdom of heaven and his messengers, from the voice of those people who appointed themselves or appointed by people who chose them to flatter their ears. Because it's supposedly easy to listen to them. They talk only about things that are that are beneficial to them. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. First John 4, 1. This means to test the spirit of prophets. If in the first apostolic churches, as we see, there were many false prophets, then imagine how many of these false prophets exist today. A false prophet is a person who portrays either demonic thoughts or their own intellectual ways for the revelation of the Holy Spirit or they mix what is human with what is divine. Zeal with knowledge in the powers contained in the name Simon the Canaanite first tests itself whether or not its heart is in faith. Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Zeal that comes from anything other than knowledge is an incorrect zeal that cannot be called the faith of God. The correct expression of zeal is to express zeal for God, not our own zeal. And it must be expressed strictly according to the written word. And if a person is unaware what zeal for God is and how to express it in a certain way and method in order for its expression to meet the requirements of certain norms and standards of the written word, then by expressing such zeal for God, not in accordance with the instruction of Scripture, he may find himself on the other side of the barricades and the militias of God's enemies, inciting God's zeal against themselves. It's true. And so true zeal for God is to love the righteousness of God and the judgments of God and hate lawlessness expressed in violating the righteousness of God in the judgments of God. Of Christ it is said, You love righteousness and hate law and hate wickedness. Therefore, God your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Psalms 45, 7. This is also written in the book of Hebrews. 
The second component, or the power contained in the name Simon the Canaanite, on the eleventh foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem, is called to make us open to the preached word about Christ, or to open our ears to the preached word about Christ. Second Corinthians 4, 3-4 But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel the glory of Christ who is the image of God which should shine on them. The ability to be open to the words of Christ is possible only in the state of a pure and unblemished conscience which is able to ennoble our zeal for God or make our zeal for God contain knowledge. So if we have a good heart if the heart is cleansed as it is written show in your faith or giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, virtue, a good heart. Show in your faith a good conscience, a virtue, a good heart. And then, having a good heart, on the basis of this good heart, when you have knowledge, only a good heart can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And Scripture says, if this is in you and multiplies, then you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted. Pay attention. First, we are called to demonstrate in our faith virtue, which is our good heart, our good conscience cleansed from dead works. And only then, in our good conscience, which is able to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, a person begins to demonstrate knowledge and zeal, or rather zeal that is closed in the knowledge of Christ. Dead works is any form of religious asceticism and any virtue that is not done in God, or pursuing either his own will or the goals of God, but not by means presented for this by God and His word, but by his own acquired, his own or acquired by other people. Today, almost all of evangelism is done not with the means that God has presented today. Anarch is carried on a regular cart and not the priests on their shoulders. Thus, no matter how successful we are in achieving our goals, we will remain closed to the true gospel of Christ. Because in our heart, or because our heart will lack the union of a good heart with the zeal clothed in knowledge in the name Simon the Canaanite. Third, the power contained in the name Simon the Canaanite on the 11th foundation of the wall of heaven in Jerusalem is called to participate in searching for knowledge of God in God Himself. Second Chronicles 1, 11 12 Then God said to Solomon, Because this was in your heart, and you have not asked riches, or wealth, or honor, or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any after you have the like. Zeal for God that does not participate in search for knowledge of God and God himself 
cannot be called a zeal called to knowledge. Note, in his heart Solomon sought not wealth, nor possessions and glory, neither the souls of his enemies, nor did he seek for many days. He sought wisdom and knowledge in God in order to show his zeal for God within the limits of his responsibility expressed in the management of the people of God. Each of us has a certain responsibility before God within the boundaries of which we are called to show zeal for God. And first of all, we ourselves are this responsibility. We are called to govern ourselves in accordance with the requirements that are presented in Scripture and not in the inventions of individuals and individual religious communities. When people try to, by way of asceticism, try to turn the favor of God upon themselves. In doing so, they violate the word of God, and they don't understand that they shouldn't do this, they shouldn't try to achieve this. Repentance is a gift of God. We're accepting justification as a gift. We then um, go and practice righteousness. But they lead themselves to emptiness. And therefore, on the part of God to make us responsible for managing ourselves in order to govern ourselves in accordance with the laws established by God means to reign us over ourselves so that we can manage the property of God. Because by virtue of redemption, we become hallowed unto God or His property. And when we become the property of God, He reigns us over His election. When we come to him and when we repent, we become holy and then he hallows us over himself. Oh, excuse me, he hallows us over ourselves. He reigns us over ourselves. Because God, by virtue of his individuality, reigns over himself and his word which proceeds from his mouth. As soon as the word of the Lord emanates from his mouth, it begins to reign over God. This word reigns over God as soon as it comes from him. And God begins to be vigilant over his word so that it is fulfilled at the circumstance and time indicated by him. God depends on his word. God voluntarily and consciously places himself dependent on his word. That is why he exalted and magnified his word above all his names, which literally means that the word of God is one of the names of God under which all other names and titles of God are built and depend on and come from. Proceeding from this, God created man in such a way that the word of God coming from the mouth of God was built into the heart of man and the subject of his conscience, which will represent in man the representation of his image and his likeness. Therefore, God's zeal is completely dependent and controlled by the wisdom of God. These two virtues manifest themselves in each other and depend on each other. The dignity of divine wisdom in the subject of his word stands at the head of his zeal, which is ennobled by his wisdom, which in the eleventh of the wall of Jerusalem is presented to us in the dignity of the name Simon, while the zeal of God is presented to us in the dignity of the name Canaanite. God is, God is zealous, but his word is above his zealous. 
zealousy. He is zealous according in agreement with the words which he has established himself by the law. His words are his law. He reigns over himself and over all of creation through his word which has come from his lips. God says to Solomon, because you asked for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I made you king, wisdom and knowledge are given to you, but I will give you riches and possessions and glory such as were not seen by kings before you and will not be after you. Solomon was enthroned over his calling. He had zeal for God, but he did not have the ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in his heart like his father David did. And he understood perfectly well that if he was not given the dignity inherent in the authority of the name Simon, the authority contained in the name of his seal could lead him to where it led in their time, Saul. That is why he sought knowledge about God and God himself, worshiping God at the altar of the Lord, which at that time was in Gideon. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on this altar before God appeared to him and made him an offer in order to test both him and the object of his worship in his search. After all, if the first man, Adam, did not have in his heart the dignity contained in the name Simon, then his zeal to judge the works of God would end very badly. He had judged the works of God. He called and he defined, he gave definitions, he appraised the works of God, calling all of creation names. God simply created it. God knew that this is a barren, this is a deer, that this is a daisy, and this is a rose. Of course he knew that this is a whale and that and the other one is a different fish. He wanted to see how Abraham would do with his with his, his job and, and Adam had judged the works of the works of God. The judge means to give appraisal to. The fourth power contained in the name Simon the Canaanite on the eleventh foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem is called to direct our thoughts and meditations on things of heaven where Christ sits on the right hand side of God. Colossians 3, 1-3 If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. To seek the things of heaven where Christ sits at the right hand side of God is to have zeal for the things of heaven. However, in order to seek the things of heaven and in the end not to find ourselves in the diametrically opposite direction that is in the underworld, it is necessary that our zeal for the things of heaven is reasonable in the sense of hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit in our heart. With all this, it should be borne in mind that we can have both zeal and the ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in our heart, but at the same time, for something where it does not exist. Because due to our ignorance, these two characteristics may not cooperate with one another due to our ignorance. Sometimes this could be one or the other. A person has zeal and he hears the voice of the Holy Spirit, but he doesn't have a union. There is no union between these two characteristics. We must always remember that these two characteristics can work in union at the head of which will be our ability to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, or rather to be fertilized, to be the fertilized by the seed of the preached word. We need to know where and how to look for the things of heaven, what means to use to find the things of heaven, 
and how to determine that these two characteristics work in such a union at the head of which is the ability to hear in our heart the voice of the Holy Spirit in the face of those saints whom God sent and appointed. Sometimes people think that God is going to speak to them independent of anyone. This doesn't happen. Otherwise, if, if so, the church would not have, have been. Anyone can speak to God directly. But there is the body of Christ. There is a church and there is people. And every church is a specific person to whom God reveals to give the opportunity to see, to read, and to transfer to, uh, to others. And when they hear this word, this word penetrates the heart. And therefore, it's necessary to distinguish who has appointed themselves who was chosen by people in other words, what role in the search for the things of heaven did God take upon himself and what role he gave us? So first question, where do we search for the things of heaven where Christ sits at the right-hand side of God? At first glance, it may seem simple. In heaven. Right? However, this is precisely why, if we think this way, this is precisely why we would walk in the opposite direction of the things of heaven. If we try to look for things, what is things of heaven in, in heaven, because there's only a third part of the truth, there are two more parts that are known to you and are found in Scripture quite often, but for some reason upon deciding factors are left in the dark. Specifically, Isaiah 57.15, another place in Scripture, this isn't the only one. For thus says the high and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, dwell in the high and holy place, where two or three are gathered in my name, the sanctuary, there I will be. As well as with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Now, according to this statement, God lives simultaneously in three dimensions. At the height of heaven in the sanctuary, by which is meant the body of Christ, in the subject of his assembly, and our good conscience, cleansed of dead works. And our partaking to these three dimensions is called to be determined by our partaking to the sanctuary. Partaking to these three dimensions is called to be determined by our partaking to our church, expressed in the congregation in which the word of the kingdom of heaven is preached and the subject of the reigning teaching of Christ who came in the flesh. The throne of God is found in these places. And therefore, Christ is at the right-hand side of the Father only in those congregations. Because according to the book of the Revelation of John, there were, are, and until the end of the age, there will be such congregations in which will be present not the throne of God, but the throne of Satan. However, in these congregations, there will be people who will be partakers of the congregations in which the throne of God and Lamb will be located. They are going to be found in those kind of churches, but according to the Spirit, they are going to be partaking to those churches where the throne of God is, the throne of God in the land. Partaking to such an assembly is determined by the state of our heart, or rather by the state of our conscience, which is practically called to be the throne of God in the Lamb in our nature. The throne of God and the Lamb is in heaven, in the sanctuary, and in our hearts. So where do we search for the things of heaven? 
in our hearts. Things of heaven is where the kingdom of heaven is, and Christ said, it is in your heart, it must be in your heart. And when we search for it and we don't find it there, then we must do something. Then we need to accept it. Because when we search for God in our hearts, and we hear, then things will occur, and we must understand what this is. Partaking to church is a state of our conscience, which is the throne of God in the Lamb. This is a contrite and humble spirit, because formerly one can be a member of such a congregation in which the truth about the kingdom of heaven is preached, but not have a living communion in this congregation. It should be borne in mind that to break the vessel of our heart for the Lord and to humble our hearts before God in the face of His messengers to whom He entrusted the word about the kingdom of heaven, we are called to do and to break and humble ourselves. We are called voluntarily and with zeal. Only after fulfilling these conditions, God undertakes to revive our hearts or to give the opportunity to find Himself in our hearts, which will mean that only after these conditions are met, we will begin to hear in our hearts the voice of the Holy Spirit through the preached word of His messengers, which will teach us every morning. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the Lord, Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 5. That I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as a learned. The Lord God has appointed my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. These words belong to the fourth dimension. And we're not talking about regular morning. Every morning is an image that defines the dimension expressed in the resurrection of Christ. Morning is an image of the resurrection of Christ, which indicates the fact that we will hear the voice of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, not in the measurement of ordinary morning time, but in the measurement of eternal life. That is, at that moment when God will awaken our heart's ear to listen to His word. And this will happen when we will break and humble our hearts before the preached word of His messengers. The result of such humility is expressed in our original text in these words, For you died and your life is hidden in Christ and God. Based on these words, it follows that our life will be hidden with Christ and God under the condition that we die to our nation, our household, and our lives. It is this aspect that is called contrition and the humility of our hearts before God. To die to our nation, our household, Therefore, each of us can check ourselves by our relationship to these three conditions. God will not just save people as long as they remain adherents of their people, their home, and their own interests. For such people, the entrance to the heights of heaven will not be available because they are not partakers of the sanctuary represented by the body of Christ, which in its essence is defined by the following words, Galatians 3, verses 26-29. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. All of you, men, women, rich, poor, children, old people, doesn't matter what nationality, what gender, what status, all of you are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For 
as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. People who are confident that they can search the things of heaven and inherit eternal life are remaining loyal to their people, to their home, and to their own worldviews about God. They err, not knowing the Scriptures. Because when they do this, God is silent, and He is going to be silent until harvest. And that's why, because God is silent, nothing occurs. They have um, certain success. Their emotions play a role, and they think everything is fine. But Psalms 50, verses 21 to 23 says, These things you have done, and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you. Now rebuke you, and set them in order before your eyes. Set your sins in order before your eyes. Take a look here. It says, You thought I was like you. You decided to judge me according to yourself in the likeness of you. We must judge ourselves according to the likeness of God. And if man judges God according to the likeness of him, he says, you think I was altogether like you. You think that as you understood, I also understand. But he says, I will rebuke you and I will present you my word. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest it tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. What's interesting is that when people violate, and they don't endure um, punishment, this is the most sorrowful aspect, this is a slippery path. When a person departs from God, thinking that he's going to God, when he searches for things of heaven in the direction of hell, thinking that he is going toward things of heaven, but he's going toward hell, and God does not stop him, he's quiet. This means that that's it. God has left him, and he thinks that the mercy of God for him is renewed every morning, or in fact, whereas in fact this is a slippery path. Because if a person has an opportunity, God has an opportunity to turn the person, and he hasn't lost all that he has heard, then God begins to allow certain things in his life, doesn't allow him to sleep so that he begins to, to, to think. But when God does not punish, you are no longer his children. Because whoever God loves, he will punish. When God does not punish, the person is walking a slippery path. That's why we, didn't, we need not to look at every illness, every trial as retribution for sin. For some people, um, illness is retribution for sin. For others, illness is sowing, and then it will be harvest. Sowing in tears. God allows trials with one goal, with one purpose, to discipline faith in us so that in our illnesses we can continue to look and trust in the invisible that our healing is found in Christ. Perhaps I have not heard it yet here that son, daughter, I heal you, and then you receive healing right away. But I specifically know that he has taken my sins and my, my sorrows. I can thank him for this upon any circumstances. And then this reaction, this reaction of mine will then be a harvest. And that's why it says, he who sows in tears. And the trials are not always a result of sin. But to tell one person, 
this is a result of sin. This is a result of, of, of sowing for you. you can't, we can't tell people. Of course, certain people who stand at the head of the people of God, they can see this. They can see this in themselves and they can see it in the people of God. I have said, Lord, what is this? You have laid down my helpers just as me. I found out that Daniel also had um, problems with his back, edema as well, something was going on with pain. My daughter came to me and said, Father, why pain? Why is this pain necessary? Why did God allow this kind of pain? And said, take a look at Christ has said, why did Christ have these kind of pains? It's written that so that he can have compassion. Can you imagine if none of us were, have, were never sick and were to never have illnesses, we were, we'd never be able to have compassion. We never endured it. We don't know what, what pain is like. However, a person may explain it. A person who is full doesn't know what hunger is. He doesn't understand that uh, hunger can be like a knife in the stomach. I had times when I had an ulcer, as if somebody is hitting me with a knife during a long fast. I didn't know that hunger was so, was so torment. It was like torment. Significant pain. I thought, Lord, what is this? I am fasting. He gave me an ulcer. What is this? And then, when my fast was over and I had made a couple of gulps of soup and all of a sudden the pain was, was removed. And only then I understood, interesting, hunger is not just I want to eat, it could also be like a, like a knife in the stomach. Same way here, God allows certain pains, sufferings for one purpose or for, for us to have compassion with one another and on the other hand, to see our reaction. Will we begin to thank God or will we begin to moan and groan or will we thank God that we have healing and will endure these sufferings as a Good warrior, Jesus Christ. The fifth power contained in the name Simon the Canaanite on the eleventh foundation of the wall of heavenly Jerusalem is designed to predispose our knowledge to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. Matthew 22, 37, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is in Deuteronomy, this is practically taken throughout um, uh, the Decalogue. Of course, it is impossible to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind, which is both an exponent of hatred and an expressor of love. 
равно и без наличия слышания голоса Святого Pay attention here. God says, those whom I have loved, for whom I have given up my son, they cried out against me like a lion. For this I have hated them. Of course, in the literal sense of the word, it is impossible to be a lion for God who could raise his voice against him, even if he possessed all the power of hell. Как только появляется Бог, ад буквально трепещет, дрожит и становится просто ничем и никем. Если Бог явит свое лицо, то для мощи не только верует в то, что Бог Люби ближнего твоего God had taught Israel hatred toward the surrounding enemies, so they hate them, despise them, not their deities, but the people themselves, that they do not come close to them. But if this people had accepted the God of Israel, then God said, then you must act toward them. А теперь посмотрите описание Господа how he had loved God, what kind of zeal he had that coincided, and how he loved God and sought 
for him with all his heart and soul and mind. This is Daniel chapter 10, verses 7 to 12. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great terror fell upon them, so they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned into frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words. He said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand, you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and they have come because of your words. Pay attention not to humble himself before your God, but on the first day you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God. And you decided to present yourself that somebody humbles you. You set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard. Therefore, in this case, Daniel's zeal was aimed at achieving understanding and allowing God to humble his heart by circumstances in which God gave him to be captive of the Babylonian monarch whom he was obliged to serve with faith and truth. So he was a captain of the court upon many Babylonian monarchs. And because he had, so we must search. If we don't know, we need to wait, search, wait for understanding. We don't need to make intellectual kind of thoughts and actions or do things until the Holy Spirit reveals. Why did Daniel do this? Because Daniel was the head of prophets. He was one of the heads of prophets. People looked at him. Other prophets came from him. Uh, Israel looked to him, God had magnified his person so high and made him also a servant of the Babylonian monarch. He served them. The Babylonian monarch saw in him the messenger of God. They honored, they respected him and they loved him and protected him. The image of the Babylonian monarch, monarch is our mind. It is an image of our mind. Daniel himself is his heart that must cooperate with his mind. A lot depends on our intellect. It allows our heart to be the head of our hearts and makes our heart you will be the ruler. God had never took a, taken away the Gibeonites from the image of the intellect, the Gibeonites, who cut the wood and who provided water for the temple. Don't try to achieve anything with your intellect. Turn to your heart because God is going to speak to the heart, not to the intellect. The sixth power contained in the name Simon the Canaanites on the 11th foundation of the wall of heaven in Jerusalem is called to, through knowledge, discipline itself in being in unanimity with one another according to the teaching of Jesus Christ. Romans 15, verses 5-7 And may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus that you may be with one mind and one mouth glorified the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose for such like-mindedness according to the teachings of Jesus Christ is aimed at the fact that it makes it possible unanimously 
with one mouth to praise God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can sing the same words, the same melody, and at the same time not have the same unanimity of the, on the teachings of Jesus Christ. Constantly in such worship there will be no unanimity. And the lack of unanimity in worship is the lack of that legal platform or that place upon which worship is called to occur. A congregation that does not have unanimity cannot and does not have the right to be called a congregation of saints. This according to scripture is a satanic assembly. The congregation of they are going to sing well and perhaps but they will be congregation of, of, of Satan. The question arises, how does one achieve anonymity according to the teaching of Christ in order to receive the opportunity to be called a congregation of Satan? The answer is simple. To obtain understanding about the teaching of the kingdom of heaven that is expressed in the many teaching of Christ and one specific person who stands at the head of the church. Revelation 1.3 Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Take a look Blessed is he who, who reads, so one, singular, if the reader reads, God has revealed to him, but he does not follow what he reads, God is going to reject this person as rejected Saul. Blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the word of this prophecy. This is perhaps the strongest word that separates the enemies of God that think that they have their own heads and that they read the Bible in the same manner. When they are told that in each church you must come from one person, from the pastor, whom God has established, only, there, only then will there be unanimity and one-mindedness. All come from one because we are so individual that one and the same question we are going to see differently due to our individuality. But here we need the individuality of Christ to be united into one. This is what God does in this way. Therefore, when people take upon themselves the right to inspect and correct the person appointed by God to whom God gave the ability to read, see, and understand the words of Scripture, then there can be an enemy here. As I said, in every congregation of saints in which the throne of God and the Lamb is contained, God has this kind of person. Only after accepting this kind of thinking do we have unanimity, which will result in unanimity in worship with united lips that praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This concept, although it is indigestible to our sovereign, me, is not new. It was present and highlighted the order of God in worship in the Old Testament as well. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant, and why have I not found favor in your sight? You have laid the burden of all these people on me. Did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which is born to their fathers? Where am I to get me to give all these people? For they weep all over me saying, Give us meat, that we may eat. I, may, I am not able to bear all these people alone, because the burden is too heavy for me. You treat me like this, please kill me here now. If I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. So the Lord said to Moses, Take a look here. What? true responsibility is. When there is true responsibility, he is not going to jump around like a monkey. 
across the stage. He won't be able to. There's heaviness, there's a weight. Every, every, they're among the people, there are those who are needy. And you won't, if you see them in this way, you won't be calmed until you bring them into a normal state. To bring to a state of to see so they can cry out and scream, this is possible. There are rhythms, there are melodies, there are specific rhetoric of words or certain thoughts that can excite them. But where is all this going to lead these people to? A person was in such turmoil, he was so close to God, and he said, Please kill me here in Naif, I found favor in your sight. He was how difficult it was for him. He knew what responsibility is like when God places it. And Lord said to Moses, Gather to the 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. I will take up the spirit that is upon you, that I will put the same upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you. You may not bear it yourself alone. Numbers 11, 11 God is not going to give these people separately something from Moses, but on the contrary, he takes from the spirit of Moses and puts forces it upon them. And when people are close with their pastor, he takes from the spirit he gives to them. And when he gives it to them, he shares the burden upon them, and the it's easier on the pastor. Otherwise, he's going to ask God for death. When I express these words according to Scripture, this is so. Sometimes I hear, what, is he Moses? Moses is an image. Each pastor is called to be a Moses in his local church. Each pastor. And not just me. I am not Moses. I have my own service, but I act as Moses had acted. I behave as he had behaved. And now let us bow our heads, bend our knees, and let us pray because our time has come to an end. The Holy Spirit is ready to help you to stop the storm in your soul, to lead you into His perfect will so that the discomfort in your soul can end. He is ready if you feel that you don't have any kind of hope. The devil says that you can't, you can't escape. You are tied by sin to me. He's lying to you. You can be unchained. You are unchained. You may go. God will free you and deliver you right now. This is your choice. I will pray along with you with your prayers. And it doesn't matter where you are. Because the altar is not just that place where you have come up here. But the whole place that is underneath the house of prayer. All of it is an altar. Your eyes closed, your hands raised to the heavens. Pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my sorrow, with my shame, with my will, my my broken honor I ask you forgive me wash me cleanse me 
protect me. Heal me. I accept your word, your freedom, through the blood spilled in my heart. And I ask you, before heaven and hell, that I want to proclaim that according to your word, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am freed, I am justified, I am saved. Amen. Amen. May your, sin, your sins are forgiven and your transgressions in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he come down upon you with a holy countenance and have mercy upon you and give you peace. May around you all thousands and tens of thousands and not draw near you. May all of these blessings come upon you and upon your descendants, and may they be fulfilled upon you. And let all the people say, Amen. And now, all together, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.